So we're going to go ahead and continue on in the, the series that we started a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I've titled this one, Cleverly, Out of Egypt 2, because it's, it's the second one. You see what I did there? So uh, Out of Egypt 2. And we're going to continue to look at uh, the parallels between the exodus out of Egypt and the, the reality of, of the believer, the Christian believer in, in today's world, in our own Christian faith. And uh, this week we're going to look at this, how the shedding of the blood of the Lamb during, during uh, the, the night of Passover, during that shedding, the shedding of the blood of that Lamb, how that, how that protected uh, the, the Israels from certain death. How many of you know that if they didn't have that, that blood on the doorpost, that their, their firstborns would have died that night? And the blood of that lamb protected them from certain death. And there's a parallel for us today because the shedding of the Lamb of God is what protects us from certain death. It's his shedding of his blood that forgives of our sins and frees us from the wages of sin and death. And then we're going to look at, at the Red Sea that we had. The, there was a portion there where, where defeat was inevitable at the Red Sea. They were, they were between the proverbial rock and a hard spot. They were, there was water on one side and an Egyptian army that was coming to kill them. And they were stuck. But we see that, that it was God's provision by parting the Red Sea that, that frees them from certain death. And the reality is, is that for the believer or the, the unbeliever today, that, that certain death is inevitable, inevitable at the hands of sin as well. And there's nothing that they can do. And it requires Jesus, his provision of his death, burial, and resurrection frees us from death. It frees us from that certain death as well. And then we also know for the Jews, the deliverance from Egypt was all God's doing. I know that that was... There was nothing that the Jews did that were a part of that. They, they trusted in God, and he, he made it happen. He freed them. He, he caused Pharaoh to let them go. He parted this. I mean, it was, it was God all the way, and all that was required of the Israelites to trust in him, to have faith in him. And very similarly today, uh, freedom from, from sin and death is, is on, on the basis of faith and faith alone. You can't do good enough to make yourself good enough to be righteous with God. We need to have our faith and our trust in Him, and it's the very same way for them. And then we're also going to take a look at how God established a perpetual reminder and uh, uh, the celebrating of the Passover for them in remembrance of, of what God did for them. And likewise, the same way we celebrate communion to remember what, what Christ has accomplished for us as well. And then finally, we're going to take that one more look at, at the reality that the, the, the Israelites could look at the, at the exodus of Egypt and say, you know what, this proves that God loved us. Because he did, this, this was proof. No matter what else happened, they could say, you know what, he freed us. And he sent us here. This is proof that God loves us. And the reality is, is that deliverance from sin is undeniable proof that God loves each and every one of us in this room. And actually, everybody out in this world, he sent his son to prove his love for us. So let's go ahead and get started. In Exodus 12, 12 through 13, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt... That night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. See, what, what he's talking about here is in Exodus eleven four through 5, it says, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girls beyond the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. This was the last plague that was going to come against the Egyptians. God had done the frogs. He had turned the, 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 the river red he, or with blood. He had sent the locusts. I mean, there was all kinds of plagues that was trying to convince Pharaoh to let 
the people of Israel go. And this was the last one that was going to come against them, and this was by far the worst. Because every firstborn, whether it be person or, or beast or rich, poor, pharaoh, slave, it didn't matter. This plague was coming, and the firstborn was going to die. And the reality is that the Lord had given Pharaoh so many chances. It wasn't like God came with this first. He gave him so many chances. And, and first, he just let my people go, and Pharaoh said no. And then he kept sending more and more to show the, the power of who he was and try to let him know that, hey, you kind of need to let this happen or, or it's just going to get worse. And they kept saying no. And the, the reality is, is that the Lord is doing that actually for everyone. It, it wasn't just for Pharaoh. I don't know if you notice this now, but, but God is giving chances to, to everyone in this world to give them the opportunity. The, the scripture says that the Lord is not slow as we consider slowness, but he doesn't want anyone to perish. He's taken his time because he's given us chances over and over and over again. And I believe that Pharaoh had a, if Pharaoh would have just in the first place honored God, we wouldn't be, there wouldn't have been in that mess. This, this wouldn't have happened. But the reality is that there's always a time when the chances run out. There always comes a time when, when the, there's a line drawn in the sand that, that if, you, if you don't say yes before then, there's no more time left. And in the world today, people have up until that time that they, that, that, that they die, that, they, that they, they go to rest, or not rest, depending on their situation. But they have until they, they, they pass away, till they die, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they don't do it by then, that's the final chance. There's no going back after that. And that can come at any point for any one of us. That's actually why we should have such a sense of urgency when we're sharing our faith with our friends, when we're, we're sharing our faith with those around us. As we're reaching out to do different things to, to reach out to the, the refugees and the Muslims, we should have a sense of urgency because time is running out for them. And we don't know when the end is coming, when their last moment will be, especially for those that are in such perilous times. They could be killed at any moment. Their life is uncertain. And there should be a sense of urgency. But God had given Pharaoh so many chances, and this was the last straw. It was coming. There was, there was no way out. And the interesting thing about this plague is that when, when God sent this, it wasn't just going to affect the Egyptian people. It was going to affect everybody. This, this plague was not a respecter of persons. It didn't matter if you were Egyptian. And I, and I believe that if the Israelites had not put the, the blood on the doorpost, it would have affected their children just the same. The plague was indifferent. But God still made provision. God made provision that if they would just, by faith, put the blood on the, on the doorpost like, like they were told, then the, then the destroyer of the firstborn would pass over their houses. And that provision that God had required the shedding of blood. It required the shedding of, of the blood of the lamb. And it wasn't even just any old lamb. You couldn't just go pick out the worst one in your flock. God wanted the best. He wanted the, the perfect lamb. And when the blood was shed, it was put on the doorpost and they were passed over. God had provided a way for them to, to step out of the judgment that was coming. And had they disobeyed, had they thought this was crazy, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Or had they just, just decided not to. Or had they overslept and not done anything, if they would not have been uh, faithful to do what God had, over, had told them, then their children would have gone with them. And this is the same for those who, who are to receive salvation in this world as well. Provision has been made. But if you don't accept that provision, if you don't accept the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ and put faith in that, then, then it's going to be too late. And had the Hebrew not 
followed the instructions of the Lord. This is an important point. Had they not followed the instructions of the Lord, they would not have had an argument before God. They couldn't have gone before God and said, God, how could you do this to me? How could you have done this? You've called us your people. You said that, that you love us. How could you have done this to me? But they wouldn't have had an argument because God would have said, I made provision. I made a way for you. And it was so simple. It was just to trust what I said, put the, put the blood on the doorpost, and it would have passed over you. And the same is true for people that are living today. There's going to be a day before they stand before Jesus Christ and they're going to say, you're a good God. How could you have done this to me? You're a good, you're a good God. Everyone says you're a good God. And I'm standing in front of you now. I, I can see that you're a good God. Why would you do this to me? But they're going to be without excuse because provision was made. And most people in this world have heard about Jesus Christ. It's just so often that, we, that they hear it and they, they think it's foolishness. They think it's crazy. They think it's going to somehow make their life worse. God is not sending anybody to hell. It's one of the things that frustrates me the most when people say stuff like that. Why, why would a good God send people to hell? God's not sending anybody to hell. He's given them an opportunity. He's given them a choice. People are sending themselves to hell because they don't receive the free gift that's been given to them. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before it shears the silence. So he opened not his mouth. And then in John 1, 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. You see, just like the Hebrew people, People today require supernatural intervention. They still require the blood of the lamb to, to have that same provision that they had. And a lamb was required to, to give his life for the, Egyptian, or for the Hebrew people. A lamb was required to give his life so that they could be saved, so that that judgment could pass over them. And it's no different for Christians that a, lamb, a lamb's blood is still required. A lamb was still required to give his life so that we could have forgiveness of sins. But you know, the lamb's they gave their lives for the Israelites. You know, they didn't have a choice. They were raised. That's what they were for. They didn't have a choice. They, they were picked out. They were, they were raised. They were fattened. And they were slaughtered. And that was their purpose. And that's what their masters had chosen. But it's not quite like that for the Christian because Jesus had a choice. Jesus had a choice. He was not tricked. He was not coerced. He was not forced. But he gave his life freely. Even Jesus said, no one takes my life, I give it freely. And I want you to think on that for a minute. Because I look at my life and I'm like, why would anybody give their life for me? Do you know the things that I've done? And it's not like Jesus didn't know. He, God knows everything about you. There's nothing that you're sneaking up on him. Nothing that you did was a surprise to him. He knows all the things that you did. He knows all the things that you're going to do. Yet he did it anyway. God didn't give his life for the things that you did. He did it in spite of the things that you've done. And that's amazing to me. He gave his life freely for me. Why would he give it for me? But he gave it freely for me. And he gave it freely for you, everyone in this room, knowing everything. He did it for all people. Even the bad ones. Some people are like, man, I did some bad stuff, but I mean, there's people that did way worse stuff. I mean, I, I mean we hear the stories of what's going on today. One of the questions I like to ask people is, is, do you think that Hitler could have been saved? And people immediately, they, they think of the atrocities that he committed, the things that he's done. and No, he couldn't have been saved. But I would argue that he could have. 
The provision was for him just as much as it was for everyone else. Now, I'm not saying that he received that provision. I have no idea. Not likely, judging by how history is recorded, but I don't know. But the provision was made for him as well. He could have received it. Matter of fact, if you want to look at a life that was an awful life, one of the most terrible, awful people that ever lived for a portion of his life, that did stuff that was just as horrible as Hitler, take a look at Paul. Paul was going through, it was, it was a, Christian Holocaust at the time. He was killing and going into homes and beating him and killing him and imprisoning him. He was an awful man to the Christians. But God touched his life because provision was made for Paul too. And everyone in this room, that provision was made. God's not sending anyone to hell. But it's actually quite the opposite. He made provision for all in this world. And he went through great lengths as well. He literally moved heaven and earth. He sent his son in the form of a man to give his life for us that we could live. And like I said, people, there's there's actually nobody in this world that is going to hell because of their sins specifically. And what I mean by that is for the things that they did. They're going to hell because they didn't receive the free provision of Jesus Christ. All sin is paid for in him. There's not a sin that's too big. There's not a sin that's too small. There's not too much sin that he can't cover. All was covered by his blood. And the question is, did you receive his payment for you or did you reject it? That'll be the only question that's asked. And like Pharaoh's heart was hardened, so many hearts are, are hardened today. They don't want to hear that. They, all they see is... is one, they either see a, uh, uh, a picture of Jesus that's not who he was in us because we're not living the way we should. And they go, why would we want any part of that? You don't seem any better than us. Matter of fact, some of you are worse than some of us. So we need to make sure that we're providing a picture of who Jesus is and the way that we live our lives. Or they think that somehow, I remember when I was growing up, people would tell me that they, they didn't want uh, to change who they were. They liked who they were. They liked the stupid stuff they were doing. It seemed like fun to them. And to be truth, truthful, there was a part of that in me once I remember I was thinking, like, man, I'm having a good time. I don't want to be all, all, all shackled up by all these rules and regulations. But it's because I had an incorrect view of who God was. I had an incorrect view of what Christianity was. I thought it was a set of rules. And I didn't know it was a relationship. And their hearts are hard and they don't want to receive it. They think that it's going to be worse, but it's not. Matter of fact, if you're, if you're a Christian and you have a, a boring life, if you have a, a boring Christianity, you're doing it wrong. There's all kinds of stuff as Christians that you can go out and be doing. The next one we're going to look at is the parting of the Red Sea. And that's the, the reality is that certain death was coming for the Hebrew people. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. That was Exodus 14, 15 through 18. So once the, the Israelites had marched away from the Egyptians, all of a sudden the Egyptians had a change of heart. And the armies of the Egyptians began to pursue the, the, the Hebrew people. And they'd made it to the Red Sea and they realized that they had a problem. And the problem was that they have a massive army behind them and they have a massive sea in front of them. And I think in our heads when I read these stories, even now I have to remind myself of the, the magnitude of what's going on here because in my head when I read these stories, I see this small group of Israelites sitting next to the river like, what are they going to do? But it was 
two million people that are that are it was because it says there were six hundred thousand men, and if you count the women and children and all that, there was probably two million people that are up on the bank of that sea, and they got the armies coming in beside, and they're probably not in good health. I mean, the the Pharaoh had already been doing all kinds of nasty stuff to them, making the law of party. They're probably not doing great. They're probably hungry. They're probably they're, they're not. They're definitely not in a position to fight. They're not warriors. They're slaves. And then they begin to crumble. They, they begin to grumble. They begin to complain. And they say stuff like, why weren't there enough, what, what, weren't there enough graves in Egypt so you brought us out here to die? Or they said to him, would you ra- we would rather have served as slaves to the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And man, I read that. I'm like, you guys are crazy. I mean, don't you see what God has done? Don't you see what he's already done for you? His power, his might. Don't you see all these things? And it's easy for us to say, especially because we know the rest of the story. They didn't know the rest of the story at this point. They didn't know what was about to happen. And they're just complaining. And to be truthful, this is, we're going to talk a lot more in depth about this next week as we go into some of the similarities of them when they, uh, the Hebrew people and Christians and some of the same stuff that we all go through because we're just people. And in hindsight, we can think about it and say, man, God is about to do something. Just have faith. Just believe. I mean, God is good. And, and we say these things and we think these things all the while forgetting that, that just this morning we couldn't even have enough faith to, to believe God to heal our headache. Even though God will certainly, if he can part a sea, he can certainly heal your headache. And they were between that proverbial rock and a heart with two million people. Can you imagine what that looked like? I mean, that'll change your perspective, but I'm glad that they've actually had some, they're not very great movies, I wouldn't recommend going watch them, but they do a great job with the CG of, of what this looked like when, when, when uh, God parted the sea and what was actually happening in the great walls of water and how many people were actually there going across. And it's amazing to see, they begin to put in perspective how big it really is. Because their other option, had God not part of the sea, was to swim across, right? That was their other option. Two million people. I wonder what kind of displacement that would have been <laughs> had they all got in the water. Would have been some flooding in the land. But anyway, I've, I've heard stories of, of like triathlons. You guys know what a triathlon is? Of the bike, run, swim. And I've heard stories about when they have large groups, even tens of people. But if they have hundreds of people all going in the water at the same time, it's a madhouse. People are, are swimming and kicking and people are getting pushed under. It's a madhouse. Swimming across this 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 ocean, even if they were in perfect health, even if they were all good swimmers, was not going to work. It would have been a, it would have been a madhouse and a disaster. And they had the full Egyptian might on the other side coming in. They were scared. They began to cry and grumble. They weren't trained soldiers. The truth is, they needed a miracle. They absolutely needed it. They could not do this on their own. There was nothing that they were going to do. They needed God's provision. And I thank God that he was there because God's not limited by our capabilities. He's not even limited, about our, even limited about, by our imagination. I mean, I don't think anybody there was like, I know, God should part the Red Sea. Like, nobody was thinking that was even possible. But then God did the impossible and the miraculous and saved his people. And God stepped in and he saved them. God's provision saved them from certain death. Amen?
And 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then in Romans 6, 4, it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The reality is, is that all mankind right now is between that proverbial rock and a hard space. They're in a situation where there's nothing that they can do. There's nothing, there's nothing that they can do on their own to, to free them from certain death that is coming. They can't live good enough, even though they'll try. They can't do enough good things. They can't give enough money. They can't, there's nothing that they can do. They have Satan on one side and, and death on the other. And we are all born into sin. We're all born slaves. Just like the Israelites were slaves, we are born slaves to sin and death. And we don't have the skills, we don't have the strength, we don't have the power, and we definitely don't have the physical ability to fix what is wrong. And when God gave the law, that didn't fix it either. All it did was to show was to, to magnify how bad it really was. It was a band-aid on a problem that needed a supernatural and godly fix in our lives. And then Jesus did the impossible at least humanly speaking, he did the impossible. And he gave his life so that we could be made free. First, he dealt with the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. That has to be dealt with. And he gave his life and he spilled his blood so that that, 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 that death would be taken in the place of ours that we would have forgiveness of sins. And how many know forgiveness of sins is a good thing? But it's not enough. This is kind of like what God did when he parted the Red Sea it was the forgiveness of sins. He, he made provision. And he allowed the, the Israelites to, to get through, to get away. And they stepped out onto, that must have been a crazy thing, they stepped out onto that, that ocean bed, that, that the beach that is now beach that used to be a sea, and they walked out into that. And that was like God providing, that was like God forgiving of their sins. He's wiping away, giving them an opportunity to get out, and they begin walking through it. But how many know if, if God would have stopped there, if God would have just left the seas parted, that it wouldn't have been enough because the, the, the Egyptians would have continued on pursuing them right on through the sea and out the other side. They would have never had safety. They would have never had freedom because they would have continued to be pursued. So then what God did is he, he allowed the, the sea to come back in and it wiped out the Egyptian army and they were finally free. There was no one pursuing him. And that's what God did with his resurrection of his son for us as well because his blood gave us the forgiveness of sins. It got rid of those, but it didn't change who we were. But when he rose again, he gave us newness of life. And he finally, he finally flooded the sin that was behind us and removed it from us. And we could finally be free. We could finally live the life that we are called to do. You know what I find interesting? It's that the Egyptians were trying to get a hold of what was somebody else's as well. The Egyptians thought that they were going to take advantage of God's provision as well, but would do it without faith. They were going to do it on their, on their own. And anytime you do something without faith, it's just like all the religions today, and I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. But all the religions today, when they try to take a, take, take a, a hold of what God's provision is, but they do it without faith, then the same things happen. The waters are going to come in. There is no salvation is that. There is no passage through in that. 
That's what, there's so many religions today that are so wrapped up in works and doing the right things. And, and if you do this, this, and this, you're going to be right with God. They're trying to grab a hold of the provision given by God, but they're not doing it by faith. They're doing it by works. And instead, they're going to be swallowed up. But Jesus gave his life for us. And by faith, we take hold of it. We're given a new life. We're forgiven. Sins are wiped away, and then we're given a new life that we can live finally unbroken. Finally, not having, not having sin on one side and nowhere to go on the other. We're finally free. Amen. And then I want to talk about how everything that God did was by faith through this whole process. The Old Testament, what happened for the Egyptians was by faith, and what we take hold of today is by faith. In Hebrews eleven twenty three through 29, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same... They were drowned. We oftentimes separate what happened in the Old Testament and what happened in the New Testament as being somehow two separate systems of God. And we, we think, oh, the Old Testament, they was all by works. They did all that stuff they had to do. In the New Testament, it's all by faith. And somehow we, we try to, to say that God was different to them than he is to us now. But the reality is, is that God was exactly the same to them as he is to us now. The reality is that faith was always required for salvation. Faith was always required to be right with God, and faith was always required for God's provision. The scripture says that Abraham was considered righteous by his faith, not by his actions. He said he believed God, and God considered it righteousness. And even, even David said that, that God didn't desire sacrifice. He desired murder. I think it's in Psalm uh, 40 or 41. I also believe in Psalm 50, he says it in a similar way. And uh, he says that you didn't desire sacrifice. You desire faith. That's what God wants is our trust in him. And the entirety of the story of Moses was the result of faith. And I'm so glad that the writer of Hebrews decided to put this in here because it would be so easy for us to pass over that and not see it. But he says everything that happened for Moses was by faith. By faith, when he was Moses, was hidden for three months by his parents. His parents trusted God, and they hid him. And then they were not afraid of the king's edict. And, and by faith, when, when, when Moses grew up, he, he turned down everything. I mean, you've got to think about what's going on with Moses. One, he was three months old when he was, when he was picked up by, by, by Pharaoh's daughter, so he didn't know anything else. I mean, he didn't remember. He didn't know his parents. He didn't know any of that other than he saw the slaves around. But at some point, he realized that there was something more, that God had a call in his life, that there was something more, and he decided to put away everything. He was the Pharaoh's daughter. He had everything. He had riches. He had gold. He could have anything he wanted. But he said, you know what? I'm going to put that away because I trust my God. I believe that what he has is better for me than what this, this world has, what Pharaoh's had, these riches. That's something I, would, I, I think we all need to get a hold of and believe that what God has for us is much better than anything this world has to offer. 
And when he grew up by faith, he decided to be treated with his people. And he walked away from all of that. And then even sprinkling the blood on the door was, <clears throat> was uh, in Passover, sprinkling the blood that says that was by faith. They had to trust God. I, I, I truly believe that, it, that if they didn't believe God and they'd just thrown blood on the door without faith, they'd have just been getting the door dirty. It was the faith that provided and they believed that God would protect them, so they trusted God. They did what he asked them to do. And man, what kind of faith does it take to step out on the beach? There was just, I don't even know how deep the Red Sea is. That was all water, and now they're just walking out onto it like dry land. I mean, I imagine as they're walking, some of them were just waiting for the ball to drop. They were waiting for, I mean, that had been scary, terrifying. And you know what, if you think about it, this was the easy one. Later on, they, they, they cross, I believe it's the, the, the River Jordan, but they cross the river, and this time it says the priest had to step in the water before it parted. They didn't even part at first. He's like, you start walking and see what I'll do. So they, the priests are already putting their feet in the water. I wonder how deep they got before they're starting to get nervous, and you've got to think, there's two million people. There's no turning around. Like, hey, hang on a second, nothing's happening. Well, they, could, they were committed. But they trusted God and he parted the river and they made it across as well. And for, the, for mankind today, the same is required. Faith and faith alone. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And Ephesians 2.8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, our salvation is no different at all. Our salvation requires faith. It requires us to believe there's nothing that we can do that will make us right with God. And just like them, there was nothing that they could do. They had to trust God. They were in a position where there was a massive army and they were enslaved to these people. They were completely controlled. And there was nothing that they could do. There, there would not have been any way for them to get out. But they trusted God. And God sent someone to save them. And, and the same is true for, for people today that there is no way that they can get out of it. And unfortunately, so many of them are deceived into thinking that everything is okay. They're deceived into thinking that, that everything is going to be all right if they just live a good life. You know, basically, they're a good person. But just like your sin specifically is not putting, in you, putting you into hell, you're, you're a good person. This can't get you into heaven. There's only one thing that can get you, and that's receiving this free gift of salvation. And if, we, if they don't receive it by faith, then they're, they're just where they were. There's nowhere out. And they can't live good enough, and they, they can't pay enough penance for the things that they've done, and they, they can't go to church enough, they can't pray enough, they can't read the Bible enough, they can't walk enough little old ladies across the street. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself in a good enough position that you can say, my nah, God, you have to let me in. Take a look at my life. We have to believe that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, and not only that, that he rose again so that we could walk in newness of life. And I thank God that he, he gave us a new life inside of us because we can finally live the life that we were called to live because before we were slaves. Just like the Hebrew people that, that couldn't do anything without permission of their masters, the, the people who live today are slaves to sin, they're slaves to death, and they can do nothing else but what their masters are telling them to do. 
But if they'll receive the free gift, then they become a slave to righteousness. And then once again, they can, they can only do what their master tells them to do. And when you're a slave to righteousness, you can finally live the life that you've been called to live, the life that you want to live. And it's a free gift from God so that no man may boast. And that's an important thing, because could you imagine what heaven would be like if you could earn your way in? I mean, I would be just happy to make it, but there would be people telling me how much better they made it than me. And people would say, I wasn't because God, it was because of the things that I did. And the focus would begin to be put on themselves. And instead of honoring God, people would expect people to honor them for how good they've done. Salvation is the free gift so that we can't boast. It's given to us freely with no other requirement. And then just like I was saying earlier, just like the Romans, if we try to grab hold of God's provision by any other way than by faith, then the only thing that happens is the water comes in around us. The Romans saw the same provision that God had provided for the, for the Hebrew people. I mean, this is a big sea, and there's a lot of people going across. They could see from afar what was going on. And when they got there, they figured that they could just step right into that same provision of God. The sea was parted. They figured that they could just tack onto the back end. But they didn't do it by faith. And when all the Hebrew people made it through, the waters came crashing on it and killed all the Romans. And we see that so much today. There's so many uh, religions that are, you know, some that aren't related to Christianity at all. Matter of fact, every other religion in the world except for Christianity is about how you can make yourself right with God. But there's actually so many religions that are, that are similar enough to Christianity that you could be deceived into thinking they were the same thing, except for they're based on works instead of by faith in Jesus Christ. And they're so close to the real thing and they're so deceptive and people are getting wrapped up in it. But the same is true if you don't take hold of the provision of God by faith, then all that's left is for the waters to come in around you. The next thing we're going to look at in, uh, was that God made a, a, a memorial for us to remember His provision for us and for the Hebrew people and He also did it for, the Christian, for Christians as well. In Exodus 12, 11 through 14, it says, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you, destroy you, when I strike the land of Egypt. And this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Another interesting parallel is that, yeah, there is there's two memorials that, that, that are celebrated. One by the Hebrew people was Passover to remember what God had done for them. You know, this wasn't a time for them to come together and, and uh, celebrate Moses and all the things that he did to get him through. It wasn't a time for them to, to celebrate all the, all the stuff that they did. But instead, it was a time to celebrate what, what, what God had done for them. And he was honored fully in these things because it was his provision and his provision alone that freed them from it. And they celebrated because it was when God saved them. And we have the same thing today as well. 
In 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 26, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The, the, we also have a memorial to remember what Christ has accomplished for us, just like they remembered what God had accomplished for them. We, too, would remember what God has accomplished for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you've ever had, we do communion here the first Sunday of the month, and if you've done it here with us before, you've heard me say that this is not a time to sit and focus on your sins. This is not a time to, to make yourself. Anybody ever heard that for communion? Take, take this time to, to pray and make yourself right with God. I tell you what, if you're trying to make yourself right with God, you're never going to make it. You can't make yourself right with God. But I thank God that Jesus has already made you right with God. It's his provision, his sacrifice, the work that he did on the cross. That's why he sat down at the right hand of God and said, it is finished. He was done. You were made right at that moment. So in communion, it's not a time to sit and focus on your sin and and beg God to forgive you for all the, the dumb stuff that you did that week. Instead, it's time to to thank God that he has forgiven you for all the dumb stuff that you did that week. Thank God that he sent his son to give his life for you so you could be free from all that dumb stuff. I am so thankful. Jude 124 is one of my favorite verses, and it says, Now him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless on that day. That's the Wayne paraphrase edition. But that's the, he says that he's able to keep you from stumbling. I thank God that that I believe 100% as a Christian, you can live a sin-free life. The provision has been made. You have a new life inside of you. I also recognize that it's not likely. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. And I thank God that even if we do fall, we do stumble, that we have a a mediator in him. We have a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Huh? Intercessor. In him. That he goes before us. Because he's already paid that price. For us to be free. And I thank God that we can live a life that we're called to live. Now all too often we forget for a second and we take our eyes off of Jesus for a second and we slip back into old habits and bad things. But I believe that if we would keep our eyes on him and on him alone, that we would walk without stumbling. It says, now him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He wouldn't have put that in there if it wasn't possible. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. <laughs> oh, but we communion. We're talking about communion, right? But that's a time where we don't focus on our failures, our sins, but we focus on Him. That's why it says that, that we, we take bread and when He broke it, He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At that point, we, when we take that bread, and we remember that it was His body that was broken to make us whole. And He says, and this is the blood of the new covenant. And do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we do that to remember that it, was, that it was his shed blood that forgives us and cleanses us of all sins. But it's a memorial to what he's done, not what we've messed up the last couple weeks. Amen? And then we'll go ahead and, and uh, <clears throat> finish here. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's one of my favorite scriptures, and I really hate that it's become such a trite verse. And it's become, 
people almost become jaded to it because it's such a powerful proclamation of his love for us. You see, the other parallel that we have is that, that the Hebrew people could say without a doubt, no matter what happened, even if some bad stuff happened, even if stuff got rough, they could always say without a doubt that they had proof that God loved them because of what he did for them when he rescued them from slavery out of Egypt and sent them to the promised land. There was no doubt that God loved them because he did amazing things for them and he provided for them and he did miracles for them and he freed them and released them and he, and he provided a new covenant with them and he said, you are my people. And they could say that, you know, no matter what you say, no matter what happens or what you do, here's proof that God loves us. And the same is true for us as believers, and even actually non-believers as well. They have proof that God loves them. Because it says that God loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but ever eternal life. The giving of his son was before anybody believed. The giving of his son was for, for all sinners. The scripture says while we were yet sinners, God sent his son. That means that everybody out there has undeniable proof that God loves them. No matter what's going on, no matter how bad things are going to get, no matter what's going to happen in this country or in our government or, or, or as a world different, natural disasters or any of those things, they can say, man, why is all this, if, God, if God's a loving God, why is all this stuff happening? They say, you know what, this stuff may be happening, but I got proof that God loves me because he sent his son to die for me, to make provision for me, to set me free, to make me righteous, to make me pure, to make me perfect, to make me holy, to make me victorious, to make me a conqueror, to make me whole, to make me healthy, to make me strong. God did all of that in his son, and it proves without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. And like we said earlier, he went to, to slaughter knowing who you were. He said, could God really love me? Does he, does he know all the things that I've done? He does. And he died for you anyway. God didn't, Jesus didn't go to the cross because he knew of the good things that you were going to do in your life. How you were going to help people. He did it because he loved you. And he knew all the dumb things, and he did it in spite of... That's one of the most powerful things to me, is, that, is that, that he gave his life for me, not because of what I've done, but in spite of what I've done. He loves me. Matter of fact, that's what you should get up every morning and look at yourself in the mirror and say, he loves me. He loves me. The God of this world, the creator of everything, he loves me. Your life would change if you got a hold of that. Hallelujah. We're going to go in there today. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.